So you're having a bad day, things are getting you down. Yeah, me too. I feel like absolute shit. The world's gone to shit. Our lives are gone to shit. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna look like. So let me just take that little bit of weight off for a few minutes while you pour yourself a coffee and let me tell you about the time I almost shit myself to death. No, really, honestly, I almost shit myself to death. Here's a Flashback Friday episode and it's Diet E. coli. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Flashback Friday. I got a tater ham, egg and cheese on the way. And I was initially going to record this later on, but I was like... You know, I'm waiting for this thing that's not going to arrive on like 10 to 8. It's now 7.25. I actually haven't slept yet. I've been up reading the fucking news because I'm losing my mind, okay? So every time, like we've been through plague, famine, next is war, and then death. Because like every time I open my fucking phone, there's some other catastrophic event happening. Like it goes from this this is this is my phone call this is me looking at my phone it goes from like mass starvation um nuclear sub hits iceberg no nuclear us this is a real article this is not me bullshit us nuclear sub hits unknown object uh, six sailors hurted like injured and i'm sorry it's a submarine what the fuck does a submarine hit like what do you hit down there a person a rock it's under the fucking water. All right, so if, if that's not bad enough, then then the next thing is like the rising gas prices. Then it's World War Three with China. That's these are literally the headlines I've been reading all fucking night, and I'm going, oh my god, we're so fucked. And it will be the time when this dickhead decides to move to the center of the fucking universe, and like they've always said, like just paint a target on your back, why don't you? So I'm sitting here going, oh, oh fuck. Everything's gone to shit and my life didn't even get started. Even though I've been saying that for the last 10 years. I'm 27 now. When is my life exactly going to start? You know, I have these great ideas that someday, you know, people people will remember my name. Bullshit. Okay, I'm 27. Kurt Cobain had blown his brains out already by now. So, <coughs> and I have a cough to top it all off. That's why if you heard yesterday's episode, I sounded kind of wheezy and crappy. Because we've been moving and shit. And I just feel like absolute horseshit. So I, we haven't even really started unpacking. It's just like boxes. So yeah. I feel like Godzilla sometimes walking through their room. You know when Godzilla's like smashing all the buildings and stuff. I'm walking through and I'm hitting off these boxes and they're falling over and stuff. I'm like, ah, me Godzilla. So anyway. So I thought I'd make myself feel better because I was starving. Like I'm going to get Jersey's finest. Taterham egg and cheese. On a bagel, okay, with with like with just like with pepper and ketchup. I don't like the salt. So like the, the tater ham is salty enough. If you don't know what tater ham is, I I can't quite describe it to you. It's like a big rind of fat and pork. You know, just just squeezed down into the just salty goodness. But it's it's really good. And it's kind of unique to Jersey. I always wanted to bring some home. To the people back home. You can actually get it in Ireland. But you can't get it at Taterham. You get it as. It's a Denny's brand. I can't remember the exact name of it. Somebody will find it. If you're really that fucking interested. Just go looking done. You lazy son of a bitch. You're sitting there listening to this. Saying. He's going to come out with the answer for it. So then I won't actually have to think about what it is. No. Just have a look in the Denny's section. Next time you're in Dunn's or Superquin. You asshole. <coughs> 
Oh, my poor little pink lungs. They're like two fried chickens. Anyway, so it's Flashback Friday. And all that bad news, doom and gloom, impending World War Three, Armageddon. I even read another article. It said oxy- oxygen is going to completely run out on Earth in a billion years. I'm like, <laughs> no shit, really? You think we're going to make it that long? <laughs> I'm hoping to see 2023. And that's hopeful. And like, honestly, if I went, if if I asked my bookie about it, he would not give me good odds on that one. Okay, so, and you're worried about oxygen in a billion years? Like, get fucked, okay? I'm worried about Armageddon tomorrow. So, with all of that, I'm here to liven up. Well, first of all, I'm here to depress the shit out of you because you probably didn't even know about half of that, but this idiot reads, reads, reads the news. But I'm here to liven up your day. And, you know, alleviate some of that stress. Because, you know what, we just need a laugh. So, I'm going to tell you about one of the funniest fucking things that ever happened to me. And it starts with me drinking water. I'm about 16 and I'm drinking water out of um out of a stream. A stream of water. Which is what we did, like dogs, back in Ireland, back in the day. You know, like, like honestly, like, God couldn't touch us. Like, you wouldn't do that now. Okay, you wouldn't do that now because like, you wouldn't even go to... I, I don't know, you wouldn't go to a bowling alley. You know, and handle the same ball as, as somebody else. And then not wash your hands. Let alone drink out of a fucking wild water source. But we were wild people back then. We didn't care. So I, I think I'm... If I remember correctly, i gone for a spin with mum and dad. And I just stopped. Like, I, uh, this is a bunch of an animal, like Irish people were. Or are, really. I don't know if there's too many people still that. I just see like a, a stream of water and I'm like, I'm going to drink this water. I got down my hands and knees. You know, two hands together to drink the water. Sounds insane. <laughs> but I used to do it all the time. And lots of people do it all the time. When we're like driving away, we know it's on the other side of that water stream. There's like a bunch of cows who have probably just shit in the fucking thing. Okay, so I didn't obviously see these cows. I thought it was a clean water source. Okay, I didn't know that they were there. There's got, for anyone who doesn't, like, poop, okay, there's going to be a lot of poop in this story, just FYI, so if, you, if you're not, if you're a bit more of the conservative type, don't, don't get involved in this, if, if you're of that disposition, this is not the episode for you, okay, there's a lovely episode yesterday, and a couple of episodes before that, which are, like, a little bit, you know, easier on the ears, this one's going to be a, a, a bit of a crazy story. This is all true, right? This, none of this is a lie. This sounds like bullshit, but this is not a lie. Funnily enough, this story starts with bullshit. Four or five days later, I'm in town with my buddies, and we're hanging out in a place called, um, it was the M&S car park, right? But it was the upstairs car park. If you don't know what M&S is, it's Marks and Spencers, which is basically where people who don't fart or have sex do their shopping. Because it's like that Tory, hoity-toity English, upper-crust, massively overpriced shopping centre. Or grocery store, even. And it, they brought one to my fucking town, my lower welfare state town. That, where, you know, half of it works, the other half doesn't. And they somehow think they're bringing the Marks and Spencers in there. I don't know who the 1% are that go into Marks and Spencers. I heard that place is still fucking open. But it had been open for years, and I, I think it was just struggling. And they built this kind of like a little mall. On top of, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, it was on top of a graveyard. There was like a grave or something there. And I know they used to do the circus there, because it used to just be a fucking field. But anyway, there was a big mall. Me and my buddies were hanging around, and we're at the car park. 
I think we're sitting there smoking cigarettes. Because back then, you couldn't smoke cigarettes. Because, you know, your, your parents find out the... You know, you didn't want your parents to find out, so you used to hide up there at the upper car park to smoke cigarettes and look out at the city and try and stick your tongue in girls. That was the objective. So I was sitting there with my buddies and we were like bullshitting or whatever. I started getting this unbelievable pain, like, in my abdomen. Like, like real crampy, right? Just, let's leave it that crampy. And I'm like, shit, I need to go home. So I call my mother, who then comes to pick me up. And she takes me home. And not only that, the whole way home, I'm like clutching my abdomen. And she said, like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. I got this pain. There was no point. There was no part of me that thought like, I need to shit. That, that never came into the equation. Okay. So I get home and I'm like, oh my God, like I've got the run. So I, I run to the toilet. Days of this. And I mean, like, usually when you get, like, a dose of the runs or shits, it's like a day or two, max. This is, like, weeks, okay? And it's the middle of my summer holidays from school as well. <coughs> Excuse my coughing. It's the middle of my summer holidays from school. And sorry about that brief disturbance. My Taylor ham, egg, and cheese got delivered. Right here in front of me, can't wait to dive into it. Also, got a lovely phone call from Thirsty Kirsty Condon, who decided to interrupt my uh, podcast episode by giving me the lowdown on what's going on in the job that I no longer work in and never want to hear from again. Thanks for that, Kirst. Anyways, I was saying it's the middle of my summer holidays, and I've got these incredible pains in my abdomen, along with like explosive diarrhea. It gets so bad. That I'm not like eating anything. I'm not holding anything down. I'm literally just clutching my abdomen. Laid, laid to rest in bed. So you can imagine like it's not the best time. Because when you're a kid like your summer holidays are so precious. You don't want to waste a day sick. And I remember thinking to myself at the time going. Why couldn't it just been in the middle of September or something. Nope. Right smack bang in July. Right into August it went. But. I guess a week or so had passed and it had gotten really bad that my father had to actually like carry me into the back of the car to bring me into any accident emergency in Clonmel General Hospital. <coughs> now, St. Joseph's, not the best hospital in the world, not the worst, but like when you go in there, you rarely come back out of there. That's the only way I can describe it. When you're in accident emergency, you were the last thing on their list of priorities. Okay, let me tell you. So I'm sitting in here and I'm literally in agony. Can't move. I'm in so much agony. And while I'm there, of course, you know, I got to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom. And it's at a certain point of when you're just constantly going, you see all kinds of things in the bowl after you. Right? So you see all types of nasty stuff right but then i seen something i didn't want to see which was blood okay so you don't want to be doing that That that's not something so you know obviously I tell the doctor and nurse brother i immediately get put in a gurney and brought inside this is where the story really fucking escalates for the worst okay so i'm now sitting inside that accident emergency thing where they test you okay and they're asking me bunches of questions um 
one of them was, have you engaged in any homosexual activities lately? I said no. I haven't engaged in no sexual activities because I was like 16. Uh, maybe even younger. Could have been 15. But I was like, I've engaged in none whatsoever. Yeah, okay. Well, look, a doctor will be in with you shortly. Now, my the only thing separating me from my mother is a one of those pull across curtains. That's how private this situation is. Doctor comes in. I'm still in fucking agony. Like, I'm really, really in pain. Doctor comes in. Didn't see it. Never seen this guy before. His English is terrible. I don't understand what the fuck he's saying. But he said something along the lines of, I need to examine the... And I didn't catch the rest of it. I'm like, okay. So then he says, <clears throat> remove your pants. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm thinking in my head, he obviously needs to inspect my butthole. That's what this is all about. So I pull down my drawers and he says, lean over to your side. Now, if you've ever had this kind of an experience, you know what's coming. I was young, impressionable and innocent, so... I didn't have a clue what was coming, but I looked over my shoulder to see him putting on a glove. And now, you know, my heart starts racing a little bit. Panic slowly setting in. I look back over again, and now he's coating two fingers in some kind of liquid KY jelly type substance. Which really, really begin to upset me. And I say, no, he's just cleaning the glove. That's all he's doing. He's just sterilizing his hands so that when he, you know, checks in that area, it has to be like a sterilized glove. That's it. And he's walking towards me. And he has two fingers propped. Two fingers propped out in front, like he's coming towards, like, like that bit in Psycho with the dagger. He's just coming towards you with these two fingers. And I'm like, no, he's just stretching his fingers. That's all he's doing. He's just stretching his fingers inside and crying, wailing. I thought, like, someone had driven a car through the window and right up my asshole. Because that's what it felt like. I immediately stiffened up and clenched, grabbed onto those two fingers. He could have walked me around the whole hospital. He could have walked me to the ATM machine to withdraw everything that I had to give him. He could have gotten me to do anything in that moment because it's the most vulnerable I'd ever been. Then he just, you know, back out the way, which was not a, any more of a more pleasant sensation, but I was happy it was over. I, and this sounds like the exaggeration, but I swear to God it's not. I literally laid in the fetal position crying afterwards. To which my mother thought that this was really funny. You know, the doctor went out and came back in. And then he said, you can pull up your pants now. You don't have to keep them off. And I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to pull, pull my trousers up. My mother comes out. And you know when your mother is trying to, I don't know, make you feel better about something. But she does the things that most mothers do. And just make you feel way worse. She said, well, you know what? At least you know you're not gay. I'm like, this is, really? <laughs> Thanks, mother. Something about that whole thing bothered me for years to come and many years later because everybody else who got this exact same thing done, right? They only got one finger. Why did I get two? He was not a small doctor. He was a big uh, African dude and he had two very big fingers. And he also did it in kind of like a drilling motion. I, I don't know why he needs to do it in that motion. Why he needed two fingers. But that has stayed with me for life. And it probably will never leave me. And I'll never have the answer to that. That's what bothers me about that. But this whole thing. This isn't even the tip of the iceberg yet. Like I said. If you're turned off by poop and stuff. 
not 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 the best episode for you. So they admit me, but before that, I no sorry before they did that, they pump me with chemicals to help with the pain, and it does. It helps with the pain. It also makes me lose my vision and I go blind for however long, and I panic because I'm losing my fucking vision. I say and I say to my mother, I'm like. Uh, ma'am, ma'am, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. So she tells the nurse that I'm now losing my vision. It begins to blur and blur and blur until I can't see anything. I can't see my hand in front of my face. The nurse comes along and I remember just feeling in my arm, her sticking me with something else. And then my vision coming back, slowly. So then after that, they put me in the wheelchair and they say, right, you're going to stay in the hospital. To which I didn't want to do after everything that had just happened. That traumatic experience. If you're going to stay in, stay in the hospital for a little bit. And we figure out what's up with you. So I'm like great. So bring me up to my room and stuff. And I'm just so emotional about staying in this hospital. They put me in a bit in, in a ward. And then they took me out of the ward. To bring me to a quarantine ward. Now that's kind of a dirty word nowadays. But back then. Actually no back then it was probably more serious. Because you just never heard of quarantine patients. So I'm in this quarantine ward and there was five of these quarantine wards, which is a singular room with just you in it. Okay, nobody else. And there's, when I'm passing one room, there's an old guy in it. Pass another one, I think it was an old lady. Pass another one, old guy, old guy, and then me. So they put me in, I get set up. Then they stay. Now, like, you know, this isn't so bad. I try to see it, like, you know, like, positively. My uncle comes up to see me, my uncle Tom, and he brings you up, um, kind of, I guess they're called Chromebooks nowadays, but they were, they were called something else back in the day. But it was this tiny little notebook thing that, it was like a, a miniature laptop, right? And I had no internet, but the really slow, um, the really slow uh, hospital Wi-Fi, I guess. My parents then bring me in, um, an external hard drive that I had at home, so I loaded on some like video games and comic books that I had on the hard drive. So I just had this time to like sit there and play like, you know, like games that I never really would have played normally. So that was fun. Read comics that I wouldn't have read normally. So that was like the positive. Me seeing the positive side of it. Then the nurse comes in and says, "We're going to stick you with a drip." So I'm like, "Oh, great!" So they stick me with a drip on one arm. Then. A couple of hours pass, and my parents go home. And I'm still quite emotional when my parents are going home, because I'm like, I'm in hospital, I'm in pain, I'm going to die. <coughs> so, <laughs> again, this is like, you know, your mother trying to make you feel better. She's like, don't worry, look, I'll go down to Tesco's, and, I'll, you know, I'll be back something nice. So she goes to Tesco's, she comes back with, um, she comes back with Maltesers. I don't know if there's actually, if you guys have Maltesers here, I think you do. But there's these kind of like chocolate balls, milk dots, whatever. So I'm there with an IV in one arm. They leave. Then they stick me with a separate IV. And they check on you every two hours. right? So you can't sleep. You can't do anything else. So I'm just like on my laptop. And it's like 2 a.m. maybe. Further down the corridor. This is where it got kind of weird. Further down the corridor. The guy in the first quarantine ward passed away. The priest came in to give him the last rites. This story gets real dark. The priest came in to give him the last rites. 
He died. He passed away. That night, I am... They put a pin in that, that the peace priest came in to give that guy the last rites. Um, that night, it's like 2 or 3 a.m. And I'm like just throwing these Maltesers. And I because I, I got two IVs in, I can't like actually like bend my arm to put them in. So I'm like just throwing them in my, in my mouth. And like I don't hit all of them. Not all of them don't end up in my mouth. Like they end up like on the pillow and you know going down the side of me and stuff. And I'm just too emotionally distraught because I'm convinced I'm going to die. Because the guy in the first war died. And the thing with that quarantine war was everyone had what I had. Which you'll find out what that was. What that is later on. Or if you read the title you already know what it is. So I don't know why I'm keeping it a secret. But for whatever. I don't know what I have at this point. So I'm just throwing these Maltesers in. And there's like a box of celebrations. Which is other kind of like sweets. Or candies or whatever you call them. But they're chocolate too and I'm eating them. Wailing into into the night. At some point I must have fallen asleep. But got woken up again at like 7am when the nurse comes along. And the nurse was a lovely, lovely lady. But <coughs> this day in particular. She uh, she was as startled as what I was. Because she, she comes in, in the door. And the night previous she said. Next time you have a movement. We're going to have to check it. So we're going to need to give you. Um, we're going to need to get stool samples. So we're going to bring something in. You just let us know about an hour beforehand. So we can get our hands on this thing. I'm like cool. I'll tell you all. Uh, I'll let you know when it happens. And she's like. Yeah, do you think it's going to be tonight? And I'm like definitely not. Because there's like nothing in me whatsoever to pass. And she's like cool. So next morning she comes in at 7 o'clock. Starting her shift. And I'm I'm asleep in bed. And when you have two IVs in, you can only sleep like one way. There's no other way to sleep. You could just sleep this way and that's it. <coughs> Goddamn cough. So it's like basically on your back. So she comes in and I just, I'm just waking up as she's coming in the door. And she's like, hey, good morning. And she's, oh my God. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, what? Oh, oh my God! Uh, just, just, just wait here. I'm, I'm going to get the nurse and and the doctor. And I'm like, what, what? What's going on? Like, what's after happening? And she like runs away. And I'm like, oh sh- shit! Am I am I like in a worse state than I think I am? And I look down, and I, like I'm not bleeding or anything. And I go to like scratch my face, and I come back, and it's chocolate. Which is the whole way down the side of my leg. Because all those Maltesers and candies that had fallen down to the side of me. And I couldn't move while I was sleeping to get them. Had melted. So from my knee. The whole way up my back was just melted Maltesers. That surprisingly made big chocolate stains. But also the whole way around my mouth. And all over my hand was entirely covered in chocolate. And it took me a minute but then I realised. Oh. <laughs> she knows I have explosive diarrhoea. And she thinks, I've lost my mind and I'm sitting in here being a fecal maniac eating my own shit. Because that's exactly what this looks like. Back then I was a little bit more of a clever clog than what I am now. So she comes back in at, with like a, two nurses and like a chancellor. I don't know why she ran to get these people. I don't know what difference it would make. Then there I'm like licking my hand. I'm like, mm, mm. And she, uh, she's like, okay, okay, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you want a Malteser? It kind of melted on the bed here. 
and the just collective sigh of relief just fell on all three of them at the one time when they all went oh thank god it's just chocolate so this con- continues for a couple of days then when she said to me we need to collect the stool sample i thought they had some kind of contraption where it's like a vacuum sealed bag that you poop in and then that's it and they take this specimen it's carried out in a big box and it goes away and it's all really high tech no they wheeled in a chair with a hole cut in it and a basin underneath it that I, I had to shit in. Hospital food isn't the best thing in the world. It's filled it's things like different kinds of proteins and vegetables that make your shit stink. I've been eating that for two days at this point. So she wheels this thing in. And I'm kind of looking at her like, okay, when are you bringing in this thing that's going to collect the stool samples? She's like, this is it. I'm like... <laughs> No way, really? I know how bad it smells. Because I've been living on a toilet for the last couple of weeks. I know how bad that smells. I know how much that smell carries. I had to shit into a basin through a chair with a hole cut in it for them to collect the stool sample to send off to a lab. And I, and I'm shit, I, I shit you not, as a turn of praise. It was a chair with a hole cut in it. And a basin. I shit into a basin. So I literally had to. And you just your whole body and mind is telling you not to do this. You're just like shit not in a toilet. But I do. And it. I don't want to describe the consistency of it. But like imagine. Imagine an Irish stew. An Irish stew. Or even. Uh, what, the shepherd's pie. Just imagine like the, the brown meat of shepherd's pie. And the consistency of that. That's what it was like. And there was a lot of it. And it stank. Because of course it did. And it stunk up my whole room. And she had to come in there. With a smile on her face. Grab that chair. Which is like a wheelie chair. With a hole in it. And roll it up. And it had this flap lid. That came down over the hole. But it just had this slide in slide out basin underneath it. With like a two inch gap. Between where your ass sits down. And this, the lid of this basin. I had to wheel that the whole way back up through the hospital up to the lab. Just a basin of shit. I mean, like, no vacuum seal, nothing. That was humiliating. That was horrifying for her and for me. But this story isn't done yet. I've been a lab rat for that. Head doctor, shall we say. That was looking after me the whole time I was there. He would bring in medical students, look at me and poke at me like I was, I make jokes at my expense, like I was some kind of like, I don't know, tiger in a zoo or something. It was miserable. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. But this piece of shit came in on the, the second last day and said, we think we know what's wrong. We think you have. <coughs> Well, actually, I can't remember what he said. It was something, it was like celiac disease, but I don't think it was celiac disease. Or no, it was Crohn's disease. That's what he thought it was. It's Crohn's disease. We think you have Crohn's disease. Then he made some joke about fucking Crohn's disease. And I was like, okay, well, that, does that mean I can get the fuck out of here so I don't have to look at you again? And he's like, yep, you can get out of here pretty soon. I'm like, so I put my hand out to shake his hand. I said, thank you, doc. And he refused to shake my hand. And I was like, you piece of fucking shit. You not only come in here to poke and prod at me with all your stupid medical students giggling at your dumb jokes that aren't fucking funny. Why do people of authority 
feel the need to make jokes. I remember there was a dude that he was a manager. He was our area manager, I think, of the company that I cannot name that I used to work for. But it sounds like Austin Terrific. And this dude used to make jokes all the time when he was giving his speeches. And people used to laugh. They were never funny. He made one joke about when we're hiring on people, we need to need to be a certain age demographic so we know that they're not going to leave in six months to go on a trip to Bali to, and he used, he used air commas, find themselves. And everybody laughed. He thought he was really funny. And I'm like, dude, that is the worst fucking joke I've ever heard. That's like a dad joke at best. And my dad wouldn't even make that joke. That sucks. But everybody laughed because he's an authority figure. Imagine never actually knowing that you're fucking funny. Because people just laugh at your jokes just because you're a fucking asshole. Well, that's what this guy was. He was a piece of shit. And I fucking hope that wherever the fuck he is now, his dick doesn't work or something. Because he's probably in a pretty good place. He's a fucking doctor at the end of the day. <coughs> well, I hope he's got a prolapsed asshole or something. Which is oddly enough, almost what I ended up with. So, this guy's coming in now. Refuses to shake my hand. So I refuse to talk to him. But he comes in and then talks about you like you're not fucking there. Which used to drive me nuts. So I used to act like he wasn't fucking there. I used to scratch my nuts and turn on the TV. Then one of the med students would walk over and turn off the TV. And then go back right back to his fucking side. So I'd go up and I'd, I'd pick up the remote and turn back on the TV. And she'd go right back over and turn off the TV. And it was a Thanksgiving episode of Friends that I was watching. You don't ruin that for someone. He'd ask me questions. I'd, I'd start refusing to answer him. Because you know when you're in that situation, you got to push back, right? This TV thing kept on going. As if by some weird twist of fate. Because this whole experience was bizarre. Whatever. It was like the third last day that he came in. With his stupid jokes. And his med student posse. To come in and make jokes about my condition. And my poor little butthole. That was pink but it was red raw. There was two robins. On my windowsill. Every morning and every night. I don't know what the fuck they were. Some people say it's like a spiritual thing. I don't know if it is or not. <coughs> but on this day in particular, he came in with his dumb jokes and his bed students. These two fucking robins flew in the window and started flying around this motherfucker's head. I ain't shitting you. I ain't bullshit. This is no word of a lie. May God strike me dead. They start flying around this guy's head and like not attacking him, but antagonizing him. This guy freaks the fuck out. Like, he loses it completely. He runs out the door. His fucking... What, what's that thing called? A uh, little pad that they ring on, whatever. Uh, clipboard. Clipboard Clipboard goes flying. The water he had in his hand goes flying. And the guy runs out of there. He lost all respect from those med students in that exact moment. When two robins owned him. <sighs> then it got really dour. Because the other old people... And made it rest well. They all died one after another. And the priest had given them all the last rites. But they were going at kind of such a rate that he was kind of giving them the last rites well in advance. Also, this priest, I think, was kind of fond of his drink. So maybe he wasn't like totally there when he was making these decisions to give people the last rites and stuff. But anyway. <laughs> One morning, the dude comes into me. He starts praying. And I don't know what to do because... I didn't tell him to come in. I didn't ask for him to be sent in. He just starts fucking praying. He starts throwing holy water on me. The whole nine yards. And I'm like. 
at one point I thought this dude was coming in. I'd been to two Catholic schools. I know the drill. And the drill wasn't to bend over before you make that joke. Because trust me, that entryway was not working. He starts praying and stuff. And I'm like, wait, I don't know this prayer. I have my eyes closed, my hands hands closed. I don't think I know this prayer. Then he starts throwing holy water on me like it's a fucking exorcist. And then I realize, about three quarters of the way through, this fucker is giving me the last rites. I'm like, fuck, is my condition that bad? Do you think I'm going to die? Should I call my mom? So it turned out he was just an idiot, didn't really know what he was doing, and just presumed I was one of the people that was on death row. Along in came the nice nurse, who wheeled out my shit, had seen me covered it from head to toe in chocolate, and kept me company every, every day of the week, while that dickhead doctor talked down to me. That lovely nurse, who actually sat on the windowsill with me one day, and watched a hurling match that was going on across the road in... I think it was is it Clamwell over Clamwell Celtic or something. It was one of these hurling clubs, which is our national sport. And we just shot the shit for a little bit. And she asked me, what you want to do when you leave school? Blah, blah, blah. The sweetest lady. She came in said, we got some good news. And I said, you know, what's this good news? She said, you can actually go home. And I was like, what? Are you serious? I just got the last rights like two days ago. And she said, no, you can go, you can go home. We found out what it is. I said, what is it? And she says, is he cold? And I go, oh my God, they're sending me home because I'm going to die. At that time, it was like 2010, I think. Maybe not 2010. It would have been about 2009, maybe. Maybe a little later. I can't, I can't quite remember. But <laughs> Ebola had been in the news quite a bit. And we knew what Ebola was. E. coli, Ebola sounds kind of the same. So she tells me she can go home and leaves. I wonder why I'm not happier about it. And I'm like, they're crying. Oh my God, I'm going to die. of a flesh-eating virus. Never, you know, putting two and two together. Thinking maybe it's not what you think it is. Or even ask someone to explain it. Dickhead doctor comes back. And tells me that he's wrong. That he was, he made a misdiagnosis. Blah, blah, blah. Lab results say it's E. coli. And I'm like, and then I just said the stupidest fucking thing I'd ever said in my life. I turned to him and I said, how long do I have left? And he said, a couple of hours, but you you could go at any time, really. And I'm like, really? That's all? And he's like, yeah, whenever you want, whenever your parents come along, you can get the fuck out of here. And then I start to realize, like, I'm looking at everyone, everyone's really cool about this. And I, if I have Ebola, why are they so close to me? And then I realize E. coli is probably not the same thing. Thankfully enough, I have my laptop in front of me. So as soon as he leaves, I like Google it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm fine. I just kind of going to shit a lot. Surprisingly, took a lot out of me. I was a little tubby kind of a kid. After that, you call I belt. I was slim, fit, and ready to go, man. And that was like just at the time when you need to be, you know, looking your best. Because it's of that age. So I got, got kind of lucky. Also, since then, I've only been sick, I think, twice. And that was well over 10 years ago. So yeah, moral of the story is, you know, don't drink from contaminated water sources. If you know that it's contaminated. In my case, I didn't. It's just something we did. Don't judge me. I'm a better man for it now. Also, don't get sick in Ireland. Not a good idea. We don't have the best health system in the world. And it has been Flashback Friday. Hope that like took alleviated some of the madness that's been going on lately. Stay safe out there. And thank you for all your, you know, your comments and your shares and stuff. Really means a lot. Really helps me out. And the podcast seems to be growing. 
And this whole flashback Friday thing works a little bit better for me than I thought it would. Hopefully this is better than the last one and I won't fuck it up with like music. Anyway, have a nice weekend. And we'll do this all again on Monday. Hopefully the internet guy is going to come in a few minutes. That sounds ominous. The internet guy is coming over to install the internet. Um, so I'll be able to do uh, Moody Monday, which is essentially me ranting on a Monday. Which is just what you need to get your Monday started. Have a good weekend, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed Flashback Friday. Wasn't for the faint of heart, but if you made it this far, you're a trooper. Hope you had fun, hope you had a couple of laughs. Don't worry about the rising gas prices, Russia, China, North Korea, COVID-19, climate change, the sun, the person around the corner, rising crime rates, desperation. Don't worry about any of that. It's all good. Just go to Starbucks, get yourself a coffee and tune into my podcast. You're going to have a great time. Stay safe on the weekend and stay moody and I'll see you again on Monday morning.